1: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap
2: music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff died back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff.
1: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: What is going on, everybody? John Middlecop, 3 and Out Podcast. Back at it again on this beautiful, actually recording this kind of uh, early afternoon, right around lunchtime, June day. It's about 85 degrees. My air conditioning is now pumping. Uh, you know <laughs> air doesn't come cheap learn that you want to stay cold open that checkbook uh, despite you know quarantine and the coronavirus and weird t- no football we still got a lot going on and Dak Prescott it was announced he's going to sign his 31.4 franchise tender uh, a bunch of people and co- I'll dive into that a bunch of people in college football have tested positive different schools have some thoughts there I will do my top five breakout players for second-year guys, guys that were drafted uh, this last season in 2019, so their sophomore season. I actually think I got a pretty good list. And then, of course, at John Middlecoff is the Middlecoff mailbag. I appreciate everyone that fires in my DMs, leaves a question. This is the people show. At John Middlecoff, Twitter, Instagram, all the same. My name, the Instagram DMs, wide open, Fire in there a question of anything. It doesn't just have to be football. It could be life. You know, we, we try to change lives here. And uh, you will get on the show. Also, appreciate everyone that has left a review and subscribed to the 3 and Out podcast. And I know a lot of you listen to me through Colin. But 3 and Out has its own podcast. Uh, I don't even know what it would be. Just It has its own subscription, right? The 3 and Out podcast with me, separate from the link that automatically comes up on Colin. For those of you that left a review there, I greatly appreciate it. For those of you that haven't and like the show, I would greatly appreciate you going there and leaving, you know, a five-star if you like the show. If not, you can go four. But uh, no, you can leave whatever review you want. Just leave a review, subscribe to that one uh, as well. makes it easy. Okay, let's dive into Dak Prescott. And over the weekend, maybe Monday morning, I can't even keep track, it was reported, it must have been Sunday, that Dak Prescott will sign his franchise tender of a comfortable amount of money, $31.4 million, to be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, they still have several weeks till the middle of July to uh, get a long-term deal ironed out. But I've always wondered this, and, and I think my generation, the numbers show, we're getting married a lot later, having kids a lot later. My, my parents' generation, I mean, my parents were older, but the majority of their friends and, and people's, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s got married very young and had children very young. And I, I, I never understood rushing into marriage. No, I, I've never been married. I, I'm a single guy. Uh, but, you know, I, I've dated many people. I'm dating someone right now. And there is a process to get to know them, right? You, you, it takes time. You wouldn't go three months in, I, you know, you hear some of these stories like uh, uh, movies about it. I, I knew right away, Get Married. Typically, those don't work out. You see some of these reality shows. For the most part, I, I'm red flagging those situations. And I, I just don't understand the rush when there are qu- major question marks. And it ha- we see it all the time. That's why the divorce rate now, because it's much more normal to get divorced in 2020 than maybe it was. I mean, clearly it was in like 1980. Divorce rate's really high. You know, a lot of people find out. I don't like the person. And here's the thing. Once you have kids, once your job situation, once you've been married a certain amount of time, depending on the state, it gets very expensive. The NFL is no different. When you rush into situations financially and put a lot of guaranteed money in front of players, it can be a very, very expensive mistake. Now you go, John, well, the Cowboys have been dating this guy for four years. I'd say, yeah, Jerry and Steven have. And if Jason Garrett was still there, I'd go, this is a little weird. They haven't signed him to a long-term contract. But they, they got a new coach, and his name is Mike McCarthy. And he's never coached Dak Prescott for a day in his life. Now, part of it is these crazy circumstances. They didn't have a chance to work together in OTAs. But you can't convince me that Mike McCarthy is banging the drum for them to sign him to a $130, $140 million contract. Because if I was Jerry and I could take a step back, now I know it's hard, he's in his late 70s, so it probably would have to be Steven. And kind of being the voice of reason and everything that's been reported... Over the last decade, Steven has become that. Kind of a calming voice, not as emotionally invested into everything, uh, has learned from his dad, feels like a pretty high-level guy, and kind of can be this buffer. And the Cowboys have become, let's face it, very, very stable over these last several years. You could argue too stable because they let Jason Garrett coach for too long. But that's, you know, water under the bridge. They're at where they're at now. And they got Mike McCarthy who, if I was the Cowboys and I was Steven Jones, I'd play it out like this. I'd date him for another year. Now, it's an expensive date, $31.4 million. But what has Dak Prescott done where you would go, you know what, and again, you'd say, well, Middlecoff, Jared Goff got huge money. I'd say, I wouldn't have paid Jared Goff huge money. Carson Wentz got huge money. I would be more likely to pay Carson Wentz money just because of his phys- physical attributes that are far superior from Jared Goff and Dak Prescott. Now, Jared Goff has accomplished more than Dak. He had success two years ago in the playoffs. Was starting quarterback for a team that was in the Super Bowl. But he has severe limitations. And I'm a Jared Goff fan. He can't move. When he's in the pocket and their offensive line isn't very good, he can't move. He's an old school, you know, pocket quarterback. He's not an athlete. That's the one thing Dak Prescott brings to the table. Now, I'd have to really dive in which guy I'd rather have. I'd probably lean Dak But again, I I understand in football, typically when it comes to these contracts, it's based on comparables. I I just, I look at, if I'm the Cowboys, I go, I don't want to do what the Rams did with Jared Goff. Though Dak Prescott, it may turn out that he's better. I got to see him work under this coach. The one thing the Rams had is they had set two years of Jared Goff operating with Sean McVay. I don't know how this thing's going to look. And if I get into a situation where I've guaranteed him 100, 110 million dollars, And we go through the season, and it goes, yeah, this isn't really working. Whatever whatever it is with McCarthy, they don't really mesh. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. We don't know. What is the point of rushing to Vegas and getting married? And I understand he's been there for a while, but they change coaching staffs. And anyone that follows football, especially the NFL, when coaching staffs change, there are major, major changes within the personnel department. And I don't mean the scouting department. Sometimes that happens too. I'm talking about the personnel on the team. There's usually a lot of turnover. Now, what makes the Cowboys unique is they have a lot of set guys. They remind me a little bit of when Harbaugh came to the Niners. Though They'd had a, the Cowboys have had a little more success recently. They have a lot of really good players. They have a lot of players that a lot of coaches would line up to coach. They have a roster that many coaches probably would take over their own roster right now. But I still think the quarterback is a major question mark. And when I say a major question mark, he's good. I know that I can compete with him. But ultimately, if I'm going to give a guy $35 million and basically guarantee four years of that, because that adds up to about 110, 120 in that range, maybe three and a half years. But, I I mean, I'm committing to him. I'm getting married to the guy. I got to know and feel good when I lay my head at night. You know, I got a top five or six quarterback. I, I don't like doing what the Minnesota Vikings did giving a guy $85 million and then extending him another $60 million. When I know, you know, I get he won a playoff game last year, but but, but let's call a spade a spade. I'm never walking into a game against a top-flight quarterback and feeling I got the better guy because that's not the case. Now, maybe Dak takes a huge step this year, and him and McCarthy mesh, and then you go, you know what, and maybe they win a couple playoff games, and you go, this guy, kind of like Russell Wilson, where early on those first three or four years, you know, there were like Colin Coward was always out ahead of it, And there was a select few of people, but there were a lot of people on the other side going he wasn't good enough. And ever since that, the second four or five years, he took off like a rocket ship. And Dak could easily be that type player. But the one thing that Russell always had was the same freaking head coach. And the one thing Dak now has a new head coach who's had a lot of success with another really talented quarterback. So one thing you'd say with Mike McCarthy, once he gets his hands on Dak Prescott, once he works with Dak Prescott, once he runs an offense with Dak Prescott, he'll have a pretty good idea. Because he's got a pretty good basis. Now, no one thinks Dak Prescott's going to be as good as Aaron Rodgers, but if he goes, well, he can do some of these things. I, we won like this in the playoffs with doing this. This guy can do that. I feel comfortable paying him because you don't hire Mike McCarthy. Even the Cowboys that are run by the owner, if you're not going to give him a lot of sway and a lot of pull when it comes to the guy throwing the football, and he's an offensive mind, he's a, technically an offensive coordinator now, calling the plays. Technically, Kellen Moore. You know who knows. Cowboys kind of a weird deal that way, but it's it's Mike's baby. Let's let's just be real, and I I I, I would play this year out. Now I've said before, if you really wanted to sign him long term, I'd have no issue rescinding the franchise tag. You would have had to do this before he signed it, and going Dak, what is your market? But the Cowboys clearly respect this guy a lot. That that's a low level move. It, it just is, even though it is the right business move when you have a lot of respect for a guy. When you believe in the person, when he's done right by you, you don't do business that way. So while it would be just in a vacuum, dollars and cents, the right business move, because I don't think anyone would even come close to compete to some of the offers that clearly the Cowboys have already made. uh, They're going to ride this out. I would just ride out this season. I would not extend him unless he would sign some really team-friendly deal, which it sure as hell feels like he's in no business to do, and that's his prerogative. But I also think it's the Cowboys' prerogative – like, there's no reason to put a ring on it. Just, just let it play out a little bit. Let your new guy, who essentially, for as much as Jerry, we see Jerry, Jerry talks. I love Jerry Jones. He's a legend. He ain't coaching the team. He has no, Jerry Jones has as much power on game day as mere you. Once the game kicks off, he does nothing. He sits there. He drinks a Diet Coke. He eats some popcorn. No different than you sitting at your house, you know, eating some snacks, watching the Cowboy game, if you're a Cowboy fan. Or even if you're just not a Cowboy fan, just watching whatever your team is. You know, the owner has no pull. Now, he has more pull, you know, during the week. He can say, we got to cut this guy or whatever. But when it comes to Dak and when it comes to the offense, Jerry ain't doing a damn thing. So Mike Mike McCarthy is the one. a, A coach told me this one time. He said, it's so easy for you guys in personnel to go, yeah, this guy's a bad character guy, but he can really play. Because you draft the guy in the first or second round. Everyone applauds in the draft room. If the guy's a highly touted guy through Mel Kuyper or DJ or now whoever in the, in the business, you get a standing O on Twitter. And then I got to deal with him in the meeting room. Well, he's a pain in the ass. Now, clearly, Dak is a super high-character guy, not a pain that way. But from a football standpoint, I, I got to let these guys date a little bit. I got to let Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott spend a lot of time together before I feel comfortable giving him a huge contract.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue.
4: And because in the NFL, I think until the 49ers, who had someone, they had a Nashville, basically OTAs uh, attended by a lot of players, and someone tested positive in that, really is the only situation we've seen. Now, we've seen individual players test positive, Von Miller, uh, I think Kareem Jackson, uh I'm, I'm probably missing some but th- those were all in situations where they got it on their own training right we had a situation with the 49ers where they got it as a group uh, or someone got it as a group we don't have any more information uh and then the NFLPA came out and highly recommended because they don't have they can't like force anyone to do it no more of these personal workouts till you get back with your team college football is a little different uh, you know, in the SEC and a lot of these programs have been together now for two or three weeks. I mean, I remember I follow Mac Brown on Twitter, saw a picture I think like three weeks ago in North Carolina. He's like, back in the office with all the boys. It's all the pictures of the players coming in. And we've seen several incidents from LSU. I think had like 25 players. Clemson a bunch. Alabama Auburn's had some. I think Iowa today had nine. I, I think the best number I saw was Notre Dame. Had 90 players tested. They only had one guy. And every time I see it, I'm I I'm not shocked to see the reaction because the media in general is very, very emotional. They're all emotion. And I mean, if we, we follow them now, I mean, I, listen, I technically, in the media, I just always consider myself more of a hybrid. I follow a lot of these guys and I just see their Twitter feeds. It's all emotion. Uh, and I, I get it. They just can't control it. But I, I don't freak out when I see this because. I'm not a corona expert. I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know anything. Everything I read and everything I see changes by the day. I think it's pretty simple that none of us know. And I get a lot of DMs that, are, that hit me up or people tweeting at me like, Golf, are you getting scared? Football's not going to happen. I don't know. I don't control any of it. I've said from the jump, the NFL will do everything in their power to play. And it's strictly because of one thing, money. And that benefits the players too. They are in bed together. They are revenue-sharing partners. So for every dollar, the players get 47% of football-related revenue. It's a pretty good deal, right? If you're making a billion dollars, it's $470 million. If it's $2 billion, you do the math, right? And they have financial reasons to do it. College is the same thing. While they're not technically paying the players uh, on the books, we, we, we know for a fact, I say this all the time, we have factual information From the feds, these players get paid under the table. So I I hate it when we say players don't get paid because in a lot of these conferences, especially the South, we know they are. Again, nope, no. I have no issue with it. I don't mind it at all. It doesn't. It's capitalism, free market. The NCAA is not the law. It doesn't bother me at all. But I, I, I can never pretend these guys aren't getting cash and benefits. Now, could they do more in the likeness? For sure. That's another conversation. But here's the reality. Because all these players at LSU had like, I think, 23 or 30 or some ungodly. Maybe they were 30 and Clemson was 23. I think there was a breakout in a nightclub in LSU. Where where I live in California, we have been slower to open things up. Like right now, we can't, in certain, in the Bay Area, in LA, you can't eat inside. Now, if you go to Napa, if you go to Sacramento, you can eat inside. But the majority, I think about 8 million people in the Bay Area, you know, obviously like 20 million people down south, large percentage of people cannot eat inside. So we're limited to what we can do. But I do know this. I have a younger brother who's 30 years old. I know a lot of people. I mean, hell, a lot of people that you listening are in your 20s. I interact with a lot of you. Young people do not care. They, They don't. And I don't technically blame them for not being scared of this virus. They were told from the jump they can't be affected. Now, it doesn't mean they can't get it, But we've seen the numbers, the the factual data, that all the things they're more likely to die from, like driving a car down the freeway. So when these guys, and I follow these guys on Instagram, they're not scared. Now, personally, I'm just speaking for myself, I'm not scared of the virus. I'm more scared of financially the second half of the year, is the economy going to bounce back? Are my advertisers on the other podcasts going to come flooding back? My worries right now in 2020 are all financial. Zero virus. Now, my mom, 74, you know, had cancer before, breast cancer. She's got to worry about it because she is in the, she's in the right down the middle of the uh, of the group that it severely impacts. But when you talk about these college football players who already have a crazy self, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it, not arrogance, but confidence, think you're untouchable, and then you're told, yeah, nothing's really going to happen, and then you get back with your team just operating in team activities, I am not shocked to see a lot of these guys, a lot of these programs, have a lot of guys test positive. Because if you think that everywhere they go, they're social distancing and wearing masks, you're just crazy. You're ignorant. You're just wrong. And they're not going to start. They, they just aren't. You know. So I, I think college football, where in the NFL, it's going to be pretty simple. When, when they tell these guys, and I, I think just the sport of football, and we've talked about it before, is very difficult to operate with these with these rules. It's not even possible. I mean, John Harbaugh, Sean McVay have gone on record. And I think John Harbaugh says it's not possible. And Sean McVay says it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't socially distance to play football. They're, they're like uh, oxymoron, they're, they're on the opposite side of the spectrum. To play football is about being close, right? The huddle, tackling. What, what do you What do defensive coordinators tell their defensive players? Group tackle, gang tackle, run to the football, pile ups. I mean, offensive and defensive lines literally touch every play. So it's very difficult. Practice. Just the showers, the locker room. It's very, very hard. But I think, at least with the NFL, you could say, listen, we have to do every precaution possible for you guys to play so you get your money. And a lot of these guys make a lot of money. Even the minimum guys are making $650,000. So these guys are going to be very cognizant of it. In college, it's a little more difficult. Well, the booster money keeps flowing, For these coaches to tell them, and I'm sure they are hammering it home, it's just harder to get a 19-year-old guy to listen to anything. When I was 18, 19, I didn't listen to a damn thing. Hell, I didn't really start listening probably to like three or four years ago. (laughs) It's just, you know, guys aren't as mature. Now, some guys on the team will be, and I've heard stories. I, I was playing golf with someone who coached a kid in high school who's going to Stanford, who's actually already there. Like, he's concerned. You know, so they're going to be individuals for sure. But I, I think, on the whole, the vast majority are not really going to think about it that much until they're not allowed to play or until they have to quarantine. And I I think it's going to be much more difficult for college football to contain and corral and just hammer home what they need to do to, to avoid it. And, and to be honest, there might be, there might be a chance that it's unavoidable, that these the guys are just going to test positive all season long just because the way they're going to live, the nature of the sport. Uh, but I'm not here to pretend like I know more about you know what's going on in terms of the virus than you, like most people on Twitter, because I don't, because none of us do. The information changes daily. One day it's the worst, one day it's getting better. Ba- I don't know. It, it literally changes. You, you can read something. On any given day, you can read it's the worst day yet or the best day yet, given what statistics they want to use to you know lean their argument. And it's why I've just tried to tell me to wear a mask in a building, I'll wear a mask in the building. But if you think I'm spending all day thinking about it at this point in time, I'm not. Now, indirectly I am because it impacts my business. I worry about football being played or, you know, what I'm going to talk about on a daily basis. But and just like I can easily put myself in your shoes. If you are nervous about it or think about it all the time, I don't blame you. I completely understand. But I know this from just being around college football players for many years, Following just several college football programs on like in star players on Instagram and even younger NFL guys, they just don't care. I mean, they're just, and I think young people all across the country, you saw, I saw Justin Thomas, they were in Hilton Head in South Carolina for the PGA golf tournament. And he's like, God, you leave the course, you go around, people are just, no one cares. I mean, I, I'm out in Walnut Creek in California. We have outdoor dining now. People are everywhere. People are tired of being cooped up, they're losing their minds. So the young people, especially, it's just I think college football. While there's a ton on the line, right? If college football is not played this fall, say bye bye to the softball coach. Say bye bye to all the volleyball scholarships. Say bye bye to college baseball. Say bye bye to the wrestling program. Say bye bye to the swimming program. They literally pay for everything. Say bye bye to the seven assistant athletic directors. There's no money, so all the money depends on them. It's just a little more difficult to set up the NCAA, the money factor, the health factor with with younger people uh, and technically, you know, quote unquote kids. it's it's definitely probably going to be a little bit of a challenge. Okay, let's do something fun. And uh, let's dive in to the guys who are going to be sophomores this upcoming season, second-year players, guys that were drafted in 2019. I basically picked my five favorite breakout candidates. You know, there were guys that had really good seasons. Nick Bosa, uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Josh Jacobs. There were players that broke out that are just good. Right? We, we know right away. That doesn't happen for everyone. Sometimes it takes time for guys to prove their worth in the league. For every guy that just, Kyler Murray, you know, hits the ground running, and you're like, damn, some guys take a couple years. Devontae Adams took like two and a half. So you can become a pro bowl level player and have an average first year. Now, you can also have a good first year and, and build off it. There's a different path to stardom in the NFL for the majority of players, right? Not, not everyone comes at the same speed, and that's what makes sports cool. You, n- you never know at, at what rate people are going to be stars. Steph Curry was not LeBron, right? It just year one, it wasn't like, oh, this guy's going to win multiple MVPs and you know three championships and go down as probably the second greatest point guard ever. Another way it works. They almost traded Klay Thompson for Kevin Love, right? It happens. <laughs> so we just, Russell Wilson, we were arguing over whether it was a star like by year four. By about year six, you couldn't talk. But it took Dak Prescott. We're still talking about it. So I, I think it takes time. Uh, but there are five guys to me that really jumped out. And I, I talked to some people around the league, players, a couple of these guys. I like coming out a couple of these guys I didn't know that much about. And uh, l- let's start at five. Jonathan Abram, the safety from Mississippi State, the Raiders took last year in the first round and he made it through about half a game last year. Now, my concerns with him coming out of college, because people I know in the NFL liked him a lot. Big hitter. Uh, If you look, I think his his last year at Mississippi State, they played Iowa in the bowl game. Fant Hawkinson. I I had scouting director tell me, check out that game tape. He's locking those two guys down. So, because there were some concerns, he wasn't a great cover guy, more than a hitter, and I, I had new people in the league that thought he would transition very well to become a cover safety, you know, a hybrid, right? Uh, a physical player that can cover. I know Jim Nagy that runs the senior bowl, longtime NFL scout, loves him. And he made it through half a game because he had a huge hit in their opening uh, game in 2019 against the Denver Broncos, Torres labrum out for the season. But people think that I know think highly of him. I know John Gruden and Mike Mayock think highly of him. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He's going to be immediately one of the more talented Defensive players, he was this year, will be again next year, and I think they've surrounded him with a little more help. The key is staying healthy. He's a guy that wants to play like Cam Chancellor, and that's to me my big red flag on him. He just has to adapt. Now, great players adapt, you know, you can't headhunt, might be strong, but you have to hit under control at 2020. This isn't 98, which don't get me wrong, I love 98, I love big hits. And if this was old school, John Abram would be just knocking, KOing people every game. He can't do that. So he's just going to have to adapt. But the talent is there. He was a first round pick for a reason. The several teams that I've talked to either had him in the first or high in the second round on their draft board. I'd expect, if he can stay healthy, for him to have a really good season. Number four, the 49ers just lost Debo Samuel to a Jones fracture. Anytime there is a name with an injury, Jones fracture, Tommy John, yeah. I, I red flag it. Never good. Last year, they had a player, Trent Taylor, who got the Jones Fractor and missed the entire season. Now, Debo claims we'll be back in 10 weeks. Who knows? I got it red flagged. I hope he comes back healthy, but you never know. Jalen Hurd, a guy that the 49ers took last year in the third round. I went to practice last year in the spring and in training camp. This guy is enormous. He played running back at Tennessee. He's like 6'3 and a half, 6'4, transferred to Baylor, became a wide receiver. Kyle Shanahan loves him. He's like a hybrid. They can put him in the backfield. He can play a little tight end. They can put him in the slot. He got hurt last year. Kind of like Jonathan Abram. I'm betting on a guy staying healthy. Had a fracture in his back. Missed the entire season. Did have a preseason game where he trucked like three people, had a touchdown, and everyone thought this guy was going to play a major role, and then he never played a regular season game. Well, now that Debo's already out, their best, second best wide receiver now without Debo is going to be a rookie from Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk, who's a junior college transfer, really has had one good season. So I, I think, beside Kittle, there's going to be a lot of action for this guy. Major mismatch, offensive genius as the play caller. They have you know, they had Trent Williams, their offensive line solid. They got Jimmy Garoppolo. They have a running game. I think Jalen Hurd, you can look up and you go, damn, 49ers, one of the best teams in the NFC. That guy caught 50, 60 balls. I, I, I'd keep it high on Jalen Hurd, especially for you fantasy guys that might be drafting people late. Number three, I had, I know a bunch of people with the Bears, they were raving to me last year about this rookie safety for the Green Bay Packers. I didn't know that much about him, they drafted him in the first round, Darnell Savage Jr. Watch him a bunch this year, he's going to be a really good player. Hot take, he's got a very good chance to be a top five safety in the next two years. Very, very talented. He plays for the Packers, they're clearly, they have a bunch of talent, especially in that defensive backfield with the corners. Uh... You know, I I just think when you look around the safeties around the league, whether it's Jamal Adams, like, who are the really great safeties right now in the NFL? I think this guy has a chance to take a huge, a Derwin James. You know, Isaiah Simmons is a young guy that was just drafted really high. who's kind of like the hybrid. I think this guy has a chance to be kind of the ultimate combo of being a physical hitter. He'll throw his nose in there. He ain't afraid, which is something I always love in a safety. It's what Jonathan Abram has. You got to be a little crazy because you're playing in space, people moving at rapid speed. I like guys that will lay the wood and that can are athletic enough in 2020 that can find themselves in positions where they're not going to get flagged all the time. And then this guy can also play the ball. So he had two picks last year. I'd expect maybe that number to double this year. I think Darnell Savage Jr. has a chance to have a huge season for the Green Bay Packers. Number two, Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle hybrid guy that the Tennessee Titans took in the first round last year. There's a chance that this guy, if he had not torn his ACL before the draft, would have gone, there are some people talking like top five, probably a top six or seven lock. They got him, I think it was pick 19. Jarrell Casey, who they cut this year. Jarrell Casey has made several Pro Pro Bowls, is a really good player, like who's been one of the stalwart defensive linemen in the league for the last handful of years, they just cut, and the reason is Jeffrey freaking Simmons. He had seven starts last year, two sacks coming back from that injury. He is massive. He is super athletic. I, I mean, he's got Vrabel. He's got kind of a defensive culture. I think it, I had a buddy tell me in the league like over the weekend. All you could look up, and Jeffrey Simmons could be a star. This guy of this group might have the highest upside. Like, there is a chance he's a top two or three D lineman in like three years. Like, all of a sudden, he's like J.J. Watt. Like, that's how talented this guy is. Now, a lot of people don't know about him. Mississippi State gets injured, didn't play that much last year in terms of impact, only played less than half the season, despite being on a team that went really far. I'm telling you, when you're watching the Titans, keep an eye on Jeffrey Simmons. And then number one breakout star potential. This one was pretty easy for me. Drew Locke. Uh, I, I know Greg Cosell, who just watches as much quarterback film as, as anyone, hell in hell, beside the maybe NFL coaches, loves this guy. Uh, his talent is undisputable. indisputable. Uh, indisputable. It's not arguable. He's got a big-time arm. Now, I, I didn't really watch him that much in Missouri. Full disclosure, I'm not spending too much time on Saturdays watching Missouri football. People I talked to said that the arm strength was there. It was just about corralling, just like any young quarterback who, you know, has the physical attributes, you want to then translate, become an accurate player, become a guy who understands the offense, a guy that can lead the team. There, a lot comes with playing quarterback. And when you're playing at Missouri in that conference, you're an underdog a lot of the weeks, right? You are consistently playing teams that are better than you. So there is a lot of unknown. Like, what would he do with better talent? How would he have been if he was the Bama quarterback? or USC quarterback, and had the proper talent around him, you never know. And once you get to the NFL, especially given the baseline of talent that his team now has, you'd go, well, his offense is pretty loaded, right? They get Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator, who, terrible head coach, really good offensive coordinator. They have a defensive head coach who is going to play really good defense. I will be shocked, shocked, if the Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio, Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, are not a top 10 defense this year. They made strides the year went on without Bradley Chubb. He's back full go. They're going to be good on defense. Offensively, they draft Jerry Judy in the first round. They signed Melvin Gordon. They drafted Noah Fant last year in the first round, I think who had 40 catches as a rookie. They have Phillip Lindsey. They draft K.J. Hamler, kind of the speed demon, to to spread the offense. Drew Locke, he only made five starts last year. He threw seven touchdowns and three picks. But just from the eye test of the little bit I watched, I went, wow, this guy's really talented. And, and I think a, a fair comp, and I don't know how, how tough he's going to be in the pocket. You never know. you got to play a lot of games Will you stand in there and make throws. But just, phys- just physical attributes, I think he has a lot of comparisons to Derek Carr in terms of he's got a lot of pop with his arm. And those first couple years for Derek before the Raiders have kind of been pretty inconsistent the last several years, Derek was really good. I mean, his second year was kind of his breakout season. And then his third year, he almost won the MVP, and you could argue if he didn't break his ankle, he might have been the MVP of the league. So to me, Drew Locke has that type upside. No upside is just that. It's not tangible. He has to do it. The division is really good. I think the Raiders are going to be a lot better. The Chiefs are the Super Bowl champions, and the Chargers defense is stacked, right? They got a bunch of corners, Derwin James, pass rushers. Hell, they drafted uh, the the, the Oklahoma linebacker. Their defense is going to be excellent. Gus Bradley's a defensive coordinator. It's not an easy division. So a lot of pressure on them. I think they're already you know, Collin's already picking them. They're already kind of a sexy team out there. I like them a lot. I, I think they should make a wild card because they went seven and nine last year after a terrible start, and Joe Flacco playing terrible. You get Drew Locke, the added offensive players, Bradley Chubb coming back. If he's a if Drew Locke actually does come through with my prediction, the Broncos are going to the playoffs.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that Mayhem is everywhere.
4: It's uh, where you guys get to ask questions, and we answer them right here on the podcast. Also, like I mentioned earlier, leave your reviews. If you like the show, greatly appreciate it. What are your thoughts on Josh Gordon, Gordon signing with the 49ers now that Debo has a broken foot? In my memory serves, Josh record-breaking season happened with Kyle as the offensive coordinator for the Browns. Just some random thoughts I'm having while cutting hay. Keep up the good work. If you're really cutting hay, you're a grinder. Uh, I... I don't know much about, personally, the relationship. I'd have to, maybe you're right. In 2014, that was Josh Gordon's breakout season. I'll type it in as I'm talking. I don't see that. I mean, last year, Seattle had him for a little bit. He he couldn't last because he got in trouble. Obviously, the Patriots cut him. Uh, the 2004, no, it was 2013 was his, God. 87 catches, 1,600 yards, nine touchdowns. And then 2000. 18, he had 41 catches. Yeah, I I, I think that ship sailed. I, I don't – I'm not an expert on the drug policy in terms of the testing and the changes, everything that's been made. But I, I don't see the 49ers doing that. They have Trent Taylor on their team. They have Jalen Hurd on their team. They draft Brandon Ayuk. They have George Kittle. They have a million running backs. Kyle, I just think, believes in his – he'll be able to scheme guys open. I – I don't see that. Who are the top five most untradeable non-quarterbacks in the NFL? By the way, love the pod, and I'm a future Cal Poly Mustang. Love it. Young guy. You got your whole future ahead. Jealous. Top five most untradeable players. Uh, okay, I would say, let me think for a split second. You would think Defense. You know, Khalil Mack, after the year, I don't know if he's untradeable anymore. Aaron Donald, would they trade him for like four first-rounders? You know, would anyone trade four first-rounders? Are are there really that many untradeable non-quarterbacks? You know, I don't think the 49ers would trade George Kittle. Uh, you know, Odell Beckham would get, he could get traded. Maybe another, who's another sweet pass rusher? Nick Bosa. I'm trying to think of young guys. Joey Bosa. The Cowboys, Texans, not really Saints. I mean, Michael Thomas, but would you I, would you trade Michael Thomas for a couple first rounders? I mean, make you think. Uh, I I got news for you. <laughs> There's not really when it comes to non quarterbacks. If you give me the right offer, we're talking. I love George Kittle. He's probably my favorite non quarterback in the league right now. He's a badass. And just like I was watching Shark Tank on Friday night. And this chick was freaking out about these bags she had, and she was yelling at everyone. And she eventually, you know, the four other panelists were like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And she's like, I want Mark Cuban buy it. And Mark Cuban's like, make me an offer. She said, what do you want? He said, no, you make me an offer. So I, I if I had Aaron Donald, if I had Khalil Mack, if I had George Kittle, if I had Michael Thomas, if I had any of these dudes, make me an offer. <laughs> you know? This is not basketball where it's LeBron James because LeBron James is the quarterback in in the NFL. Uh, John, I know your background is in football and the podcast I listen to most right next to pardon my take. I know you're somewhat of a barstool guy. You dive into other sports every now and then, but I'd say 90% of what you talk about is football. Have you ever thought about expanding your podcast to cover more than just one sport? Well, my podcast I do with Haberman and Middlekoff. Now we, we talk more, maybe Bay Area with the Warriors But we talk baseball. We talk everything. You know, it was basically we had a radio show where we we do talk a lot of PGA Tour golf. We talk about it all. Uh, On this podcast, it's just easier to just focus in the NFL and based on the numbers. I mean, football's king. Even on the other podcast, we talk football the most because it's by far the most popular. Now, I'm a huge sports guy. I'm a rare 35-year-old that watches way too much baseball. I love the PGA Tour. While I talk some shit about the NBA, I watch an ungodly amount of the NBA. Uh, I, I love basketball. So, I mean, the, between those four sports, you know, football pays my bills. And it's just, even when I was in radio, we talk about football more. So, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I tweet and talk, my do my periscopes. But it's just, it's more fun to do topics about football because more people react. You can do a baseball, a top five baseball players. I tweeted that out right now. I get two people interact. I did top five, you know, quarterbacks under 30. I'd have... 500 replies it's just people just are more passionate right now about football and basketball hell even you know i'm a sucker but the pga tour just a picture of a guy cooking steaks for father's day that sounds cool happy father's day to all the fathers listening do you feel the west coast offense could really take off over the coming years If you look at Philly, for example, with two tight ends in Ertz and Goddard, you see Goddard got knocked out, a great running back in Miles Sanders, I wouldn't say great yet, but talented, who should improve after his rookie season and two burner wide receivers in Rager and Deshaun, tight ends are extremely undervalued position, as you have talked about with George Kittle's contract talks, and are much cheaper usually than most slot receivers, thus allowing money to be spent on the O-line or elsewhere on the team. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything now in 2020 is a hybrid offense. You know, the RPOs is such a big part of the game. All these quarterbacks are moving. If you have two tight ends, you'd be stupid not to put them on the field. The Niners would have no problem putting two tight ends on the field. Their problem is they don't really have a good second tight end. Now, they play a lot of, you know, situations in 21 personnel with two running backs and one tight end, right? Because they have Kyle Juszczyk, who is kind of unique. Is he a running back? Nah, I mean, he's kind of more of like a hybrid tight end, but he also is a full black lead blocker. He's just the ultimate Swiss Army knife. I think it's just all about your personnel. I would not have a quote-unquote offense. I would just have, I would like, you know, obviously you'd want a staple of your offense, but I would want to be able to deliver plays. An offensive coordinator told me this last year. What makes the best offensive coordinators great is they're not worried about balance, run, pass. They're worried about getting their playmakers the ball. It's what Andy Reid does a great job of, right? He gets Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins the football. Kyle Shanahan does a really good job of this. Now he even spreads it out I'd argue sometimes too much, but I you can't complain with the results that I, I don't the quote unquote what kind of offense to defense to me it matters more because your base personnel gives your gap assignment so who's going to make a tackle or has what gap in football, whether I got two tight ends on the field, no tight ends on the field, well if I got four street wide receivers or multiple sweet running backs, like I don't blame the the Baltimore Ravens for doing what they're doing that's their personnel. So, to me, it's just based on your personnel. Now, if you wanted to take even a step back, should you be looking for that second tight end? Ideally, yes. You would like two Kelsies. You would like two Kittles. You would like a Gronk and a, you know, again, bad guy, you know, murderer, but Aaron Hernandez, right? That's what, ideally, you'd want. It's just easier said than done. After hearing your convincing take on DeChambeau Saturday, I I decided to lay uh, some bones on his 19-1 to odds. Although he came up a few shots short, it made Sunday much more compelling for a novice gambler like myself. My question is, would you ever consider doing a Middlecoff money bag or something of the sort each week in addition to the mailbag? Something that gives us all your juicy lines in golf, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. Whatever, really. Appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you this. Gambling on football is by far the best, and we will clearly incorporate more gambling this fall. I love gambling on football. In my experience, March Madness is really fun, but it's more just the event than you feel that great about your picks. Now you can take the you know advice of the Jay Billises of the Doug Gottliebs and the twelve fives and feel pretty good, but more and more now than ever, we don't watch as much college basketball. And I watch sports for a living. And I don't even watch that much. To me, my second favorite sport to gamble on, the NBA, is not easy anymore unless you're going to bet on playoff series and the last couple of years I've bet against Russell Westbrook in the first round and got plus money, but a regular season game in the NBA guys don't try guys sit out. It's impossible. I used to love gambling on the NBA because I, I used to, back when Kevin Durant was on the thunder, I would bet a lot of team overs. You know, they would be like over under 110 points for the thunder and they would score so many points. It was awesome. I loved it and bet Lakers back when like Kobe's last couple of years, their defense was awful the over-under in the game, but it's, to me, the NBA has become much more difficult to gamble, I don't gamble it anymore, football and golf, love gambling and golf, now golf is more difficult, because like, I love Bryson DeChambeau, and I still do, the, I played Harding Park, it's where the PGA Championship is going to be in August, and it's not that long of a course, and the fairways are really tight, and the rough is ungodly, I lost like five balls, and you just you can't find the ball if you don't hit the fairway. And you're not going to hit that many fairways cuz the the fairways got cut like by 60%. Well, Bryson is going to be 40 yards past everybody, and he has the power to get out of the rough. So, last I checked, the Bryson, depending on where you look, was like 25 to 1 to win the PGA Championship. Now, again, betting on individuals to win golf tournaments is difficult, but there are a lot of fun bets wherever you gamble. I'm not going to give any free ads here, and hopefully we'll get a gambling sponsor that you gamble on individual matchups, on top tens. Gambling on golf is sweet. If you like golf and you just lightly pay attention, it is really fun to gamble on. Baseball stinks. Uh, and, and basketball is just impossible till the playoffs. So th- that would be my gambling advice. Start paying attention to golf. Fun sports to gamble. Do you think there's a legitimate chance the NFL season gets canceled? I dismissed the idea at first personally, but I'm starting to see it become more and more a topic lately. Keep up the good work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. I think they will do everything humanly possible to play. I've said it's, and I keep quoting these guys, it's going to be hard for the protocols to work. It's going to be hard to practice football with and not have guys get Corona. I think guys are going to get Corona. A lot of these teams have older coaches. It's going to be a challenge. Someone that desperately wants sports to come back, I'm actually watching the NASCAR race behind me right now, but uh, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. But they will, all their chips are in the middle of the table. They have 12, 13, 14, whatever, billion, billion reasons to get this thing to play. If that means pushing it back a couple of months, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I'm just giving my opinion. And my opinion on this, I don't feel, listen, I have no problem giving opinions. I just don't know. Like, I, back to, I, I don't have really corona takes. Tell me to wear a mask in your restaurant, I wear a mask. Uh, if you expect me to, like, scream about it all day when I'm at my condo or going on a walk, like, that ain't happening. I'm not a fear porn daily freak out guy. I also respect anyone who is. I get it, you right. I mean, any day you can read an article that feels like the year's gonna end. I, I'm not taking that outlook just because I read a lot of articles on the other, or at least headlines. I don't even I don't consume that much Corona stuff anymore. I refuse because out of my control. I don't even believe anyone on either side. Uh, I don't want anyone to die. No one wants Grandpa to die, but I'll social distance if I don't know you or whatever. But I'm also living my life. Like I'm, I've played golf probably four times in the last couple of weeks. I've gone different places to play golf like I ain't I don't spend that much time thinking about it and I think a lot of players and I DM'd with a couple they're not that freaked out either. The players are not because most people in the 20 to 30 year old age range don't aren't consumed with it beside the media who just is consumed with it. So I guess it's a roundabout way of saying I just I don't know. But yeah, I mean every once in a while if I if I spend too much on Twitter I get a little freaked out. Wanted to get your thoughts on what sort of compensation you'd be looking for if you were Joe Douglas Shoes when it comes to Jamal Adams. Obviously, he has a list, but as you've pointed out in the past, the NFL doesn't operate the same as the NBA. No, they don't. The Jets will not hold on to Adams because the Jags or Bengals called instead of the Cowboys or Ravens. Dealing him to a crappier team would likely result in a higher pick. I was thinking maybe two second rounders or a second and third is realistic. However, if a team like the Cowboys calls, would you rather ask the Cowboys for a second or third and gallop since they are likely to be a good pick So their pick will end up being low. Also, they drafted Lamb, signed Cooper for big bucks. You have a bunch of other players to pay Gallup. Not a terrible idea. I like where you're looking at here. I think if you were open to trading Jamal Adams, getting a second-round pick and a legitimate player is not a bad idea. I think so often we love trading good players for for a first-round pick. But what if you got a second-round pick and a guy who immediately starts on your team? Michael Gallup's good. Every time I watched the Cowboys, I went, Listen, Michael Gallup's not as good as Mark Cooper, but he's not some scrub. Uh, I know he got banged up last year, but I, I took him a lot in daily fantasy, and he always produced. I was actually really impressed with him. So I I, I think that would be a more than fair ass. Let's see Michael Gallup last year. I know he was banged up. He had 66 catches for 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. I, he, he, the, the, trust me, the Jets. I, would I do Jamal Adams for a second-round pick and Michael Gallup? I would strongly think about that. I, I really would. Now, Michael Gallup's going into his third year, so he's got to get paid after this year, but he's not going to be that expensive. I, I, I like that type deal. Now, if you're going to get a first-round pick from a team, then it, that'd be hard to pass up. But if they're all second-rounders, would I rather have the Cowboys second-rounder and Michael Gallup than like the Bengals second-rounder? For sure.
0: God, we get some good ideas here. That's,
4: that's some high-level thinking there.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue.
5: as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple
4: Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Do you think the 49ers have one more big move up their sleeve this offseason? I don't. No, they don't have any picks to trade. They don't have any more players to trade. I would not really expect them to do much. New listener from down in New Zealand. Big fan of the NBA, NFL, and Colin. Heard you answering fans last week and brought up the question about the rugby rugby league. It's a completely different set of rules from the rugby union. In some aspects, it's similar to American football, except you can't throw it forward down the field and you only have a single team of 13 on the field who attack and defend. You have a six-tackle set before you have to kick the ball to the opposition. Bloody good sport. I love bloody. That's a great That's a great cuss word over in, uh, you know, across the pond. Good sport to watch, and one of the only ones at the moment with the virus. Anywho, just letting you know, I'm a big fan. You have a listeners way down here in New Zealand. Uh, I went to New Zealand when I was 13. When I was growing up, my dad's dad who was a professor at Cal, was a big fly fisherman. He used to take my dad every year for like 30 years to New Zealand. They'd go for like three or four weeks. When I was 13, my dad's like, why don't you come? I'm not a huge fisherman, but I went out there, stayed with him for a couple weeks. It was badass. I remember eating this ice cream called Hokey Pokey. We got helicoptered back and fished. Uh, we played a little golf. We went to, I told my dad, maybe I was 12, because I told him bungee jumping, I'm pretty sure, was invented in New Zealand. And the place where it first started was this crazy like, uh, bridge that I think is like a 500-foot fall. And they can time it where you touch the river that you jump into. And I'm like, Dad, I'll tell him I'm 13. Drive me there, and I will jump off this bridge. So he drives me there. And we park, and we go out to watch. And I remember walking out and looking. I'm like, oh, my God. That is so freaking high. So we walk in to go get fitted. He's like, he wants to do a bungee jump. And the guy's like, How old are you? You had to be you had to tell you be 13. I was like, I'm 12. I'm 12. And they're like, okay, you can't do it. And I get out of it. My dad's like, oh my God, you're such a wuss. I'm like, yeah, dad, I, in no freaking way I'm jumping off that thing. But uh, that's my lasting memory of New Zealand. So, question for the show. I'm from the Pacific Northwest and been a Hawks fan since I can remember. Most analysts, journalists, and media members never give the Seahawks the respect they deserve. Every year, all anyone can say is how they were going 7-9, and nine, and then what do you know? They're in the playoffs. He said, we're in the playoffs. True, I appreciate the fandom. Being a Niners fan media guy, can you account for the lack of respect? I feel like Schneider, Carroll, and Russ have earned a certain amount of respect anyway. I never picked the Seahawks to miss, so I don't know what those idiots are doing. I do know this as someone that breaks down rosters and has a pretty good feel for what like an elite team looks like, their roster the last couple years has not and I think even you as a Seahawks fan will admit this, not nearly as good as it was in 12, 13, and 14, right? It's not as deep, not as star studded. Now, their curveball, and this is why you can't dismiss them, they have either the best or second best quarterback in the world in Russell Wilson and he's a magician. Unlike Mahomes, who doesn't I mean, while he kind of indirectly does, but they have so much help, Russell has to carry the team. Their defense isn't as good. They don't have as many Pro Bowl guys on defense. He's got to be a star, and he is a star. He can have these games. To me, Russell Wilson's a lot like Steph Curry. He can have these games where he looks terrible for three quarters, and then all of a sudden he flips a switch and throws three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and just rips your heart out and does just Houdini stuff. So I, I, I really think it's just Russell Wilson. He is one of the most incredible quarterbacks we've ever seen. And for them to be whatever they won, 11 games last year, and being within a, a half inch, a half inch of sweeping the Niners and being the second seed would have been one of the most incredible accomplishments given their roster I've ever seen. Because that team was not as talented as their record. But their quarterback is more talented than their record. So I, th- I think it's that simple. Because player for player, the- their roster leaves some to be desired. Now, it's, you could argue it's a little better. Now they got DK, who's a really good player. We'll see if they can get Clowney back. But, man, yeah, I, I think the what that franchise has accomplished these last two you know, decade. really the second half of the decade, has been more impressive. Now, they haven't won a Super Bowl or even gotten back, but being able to sustain, maintain, and win all these games that no, no team pulls more games out of their ass than Seattle Seahawks. And I, I say that as a compliment. But how often are we sitting on our couch on Sunday, especially when they kick like a 10 a.m. kickoff, you know, and they're playing like the Panthers or the Jets or something, and they'll be down like, you know, 17 to 10 and just playing like crap. Then all of a sudden two straight Russell Wilson drives, bang, bang, boom, and it's 24 to 17 and they win. Like they have so many games like that. And that—that's just their culture. They're—they're they're, they're winners. All they do is win. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, enjoy the week, and uh, I guess it's summer. It's kind of a weird summer, but summer's here. So enjoy your summer, and uh, I'll talk to you a little bit later. Adios.